I invite you to take a Bible now and to open it to the letter to the Hebrews, uh, where we will read the first chapter. As a church family, we've been going through uh, the New Testament this year, looking at how each letter begins and ends. And so next week, we will be in the very last uh, chapter of Hebrews 13. And so we'll skip over the majority of it. Uh, But as Mark was talking about uh, the small group that is meeting at 9 a.m. and there are others that are going through uh, the length of the letters uh, in more detail during the week and we have other Bible studies uh, considering other topics uh, that if you're not plugged into a group for deeper study, we invite you to do so. Uh, But also if you just on your own want to read through the letters in their entirety, our hope is that as we look at how they begin and how they end that it would be an encouragement to you uh, to read the whole thing but here is Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And that'll conclude the reading uh, for this morning. Hopefully you've already picked up on it though, but it continues to be the theme of this letter that the author is revealing, even as Mark provided a a helpful analogy in uh, the disciples who were on their uh, way to Emmaus, not fully understanding all that was happening through Jesus and even grieving that he had suffered in the crucifixion, uh, that the burden of the author of this letter is to show the, the greatness of our God, that through Jesus, every good thing that had already been given to us as gifts is now been, uh, been made better. 
that uh, he's not as much describing uh, that something was really, really bad before and now something is good, but even the good things that we had been previously been given, we now have something greater and something better. And so we don't have to look back and all of a sudden call those other things bad. They were good gifts given to us by God, but we now have the greatest of gifts, the very best thing that God himself could give us. And so when we ourselves are discouraged, and later uh, in the letter reveals in chapter 10 that the, the people receiving this letter are in a situation where they're feeling discouraged. Uh, they're, they're wondering if it's worth it even to keep getting together for worship because life continues to prove challenging and difficult. And so the burden is to remind everyone of the greatness of God and the provision that he's making for us and that uh, with every good thing that he's given us, he's also given to each and every one of us now something greater. The first thing that he talks about is that we now have this opportunity to have a greater understanding of God. That long ago, at many times, and in many ways, he opens, he says, God revealed himself. He spoke to prophets. They gave and delivered messages to the people. And as we go through our Old Testament, we see an understanding of God unfolding. First, he's revealed in creation itself and in the beauty that is around us, but then he also appointed specific people through whom he communicated so that more and more people could come to an understanding of him. And this is one of the profound things that we believe about God is that he has chosen to make himself known. If you and I were to simply sit here and say, let's try to figure out who made all of this and what is he up to, we'd find ourselves uh, humbled by the task. At least we should. <laughs> uh, no one of us is smart enough to really understand what what the maker of all of this would be like and what he would be up to and how to interpret him based on the events of our world. It would be an act of arrogance on our part to think that we, in our time and space, and the briefness of our lifespan, if we could somehow be wise enough to fully know him. And so one of the starting points for us in our faith is to acknowledge our limitations, that we only know so much, we've only experienced so much, and so if it was left up to us, we could actually be reasonably, significantly ignorant of who God is. If he chose not to communicate, if he chose not to reveal himself, uh, we'd be left in darkness. But scripture makes clear that our God, who for us is in one sense impossible to know by his grace and his wisdom, he knows how to reveal himself. He knows how to communicate in a way that we can understand. And he knows how to communicate based on our different life experiences, what it is that we need to know and understand. And so it says that God has spoken in a variety of ways. He spoke to his prophets uh, directly. He spoke to them through dreams. He spoke through them through other people, bringing messages along that he sees and knows each and every one of us and he can get his message across to us. But even in all of that, we now have a greater understanding of who he is because of Jesus. Because he's now come in the flesh to really tell us what he's like. And so we can go to the life of Christ that's recorded for us and say, with all of the questions we still might have about who God is and whether we can trust him or not from the previous revelation that's been given, 
we can bring all of those questions to the person and the work and the life and the teaching of Jesus and find the greatest amount of clarity. This is what you've been saying all along. This is what I was supposed to take away. This is what I was supposed to hold on to. But a greater level of understanding allows for a deeper level of relationship. Those two things go together. Our ability to communicate with one another and our ability to have a relationship with one another. And when we can't communicate with one another, we struggle to have a relationship with one another. Uh, I experienced that vividly, again, simply by uh, traveling overseas. When you're in a place where you don't speak the same language as another person, and therefore you can't communicate very well with each other. There's a limitation then on how much you can understand one another. And in that limitation, at the same time, how much you can reveal about yourself, to feel that you're really getting to know each other well. If you, don't, if you can't communicate, it makes it difficult to relate with one another and to grow in that depth. One of the things I'm thankful for by having now gone several different times is that I feel like my understanding is growing, and as my understanding is growing, my relationships are getting deeper, and they're able to now be experienced at a different level. But communication is also more than just words, and understanding is even more than just words. And so one of the things I learned uh, in traveling to Serbia is it's a gift-giving culture. And so for you to see somebody that you've not seen for a long time, everybody there feels the burden to have a gift for you, to bring something personal uh, as an extension of their love for you. And me not knowing that was happy just to get together with people, but I have no gifts to give. And I didn't know that indirectly what I was communicating is then a little bit more of a formality rather than a familiarity. And so over time, and in a greater understanding, can say, oh, wait a minute, who am I meeting with today? I better have a gift with me so that I can give the gift because it's one of the ways to say uh, you're not just uh, some random person, but as we're getting to know each other and grow in our love for one another, here's a way to communicate, even without words, uh, this longing to be together, this desire to know one another. And so God spoke at many times and in many different ways through the prophets and through dreams and through his servant. But now we have this greater understanding of him because of Jesus. And not only a greater understanding, but also a greater message. Uh, So it's not just that uh, we can uh, have sharper or better information about God. But the message that Jesus has brought to us is that we we now also understand him at a deeper and more profound way than we ever could. That it is the absolutely clearest way that God is saying to us, he loves us. That he's always loved us. And that in his love for us, he'll do whatever is necessary to do to save us. That's the message that comes through in Jesus, not that we simply understand him better as like a distant subject that we're getting smarter in, but as the God who is revealing himself and desiring to have relationship with us, he is making clear to us just how much he loves us. He is the one, it says, who created the world. He is the one who upholds 
holds the universe by the word of his power. And so the mere fact that we're here and that we exist is because of his love. The fact that uh, we can go about our days and, uh, is an expression of his love. And the fact that in spite of all of our sins, we could come to know forgiveness through his sacrifice is again a way that he is saying to us louder and clearer than ever before just how strong and how deep and how wide his love is for us. And so we have now not only a greater messenger, (laughs) but a greater message. The message could get more clear, (laughs) but we find out that uh, there's not a depth of relationship behind it. But with God, in the message becoming more clear, what also comes through is his heart, that he loves us. And his love is so great for us that he's also even a greater servant than the angels who have served before. And so from the revelation of his word and how he comes to be the message, then the the majority of the chapter actually talks about how God is greater than the angels. And the angels are created by God and they serve and do God's will. They are his agents in the world doing his work. And again, when we read through the Old Testament and even the New Testament, we see multiple times where it's the angels who come and encourage people. It's the angels who come and help uh, allow for miracles to take place for God's people to be rescued in times when they thought that they would be condemned. The, The angels have done great work by God over time, and they still do. God chooses to work in and through them. But Jesus points out that no angel, though they serve faithfully, and though when we think of angels, we think of them as uh, holy and without sin, none of them have ever served us to the point that Jesus has. None of them, even in their created holiness, could ever offer themselves as a substitute for us. They can serve us, they can help At times, they can rescue us physically from harm, but none of them can do what it says in verse 3, make purification for sins for us. And so none of them have ever served us to that extent. None of them have ever served us by becoming one of us and living life and experiencing our humanity in the way that Jesus did. And so no one has ever served us in the way that Jesus has. And again, here, it's not to dismiss the work that they have done, that they still continue to do, but it's to help lift up and encourage our hearts to say, the greatest messenger has come. He's given us the greatest message, and he is willing to serve us to the greatest extent. How wonderful is that? How much should we be encouraged by the goodness of that message? And not only is he willing to serve us, he's a greater servant, but in that regard then, he is a greater sovereign. It says that he has now inherited a name that is much superior to the angels. And when we say, what do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, we have even now a recent example of as, as somebody new enters into royal power, Uh, Their name is changed to now reflect they're no longer just the prince and an heir to the throne, but they're actually now the king and the ruler. And so this is how uh, their name is changed to reflect the newness 
of this authority that they carry forward. And here, because our Jesus was the greatest servant and the willing person to come and be a sacrifice for us, now the name that he is given as he takes his rightful claim of ruler of heaven and earth over all that is created, he now has a name that is superior. And so this is very similar to Philippians chapter 2, where then in Philippians 2 it says, because he's now been exalted, every part of creation will worship him. Not just you and me who've been redeemed by him, but even the angels are invited to bow down and worship this sovereign as the ruler of all. And this becomes the dividing line for Christianity and every other religious tradition. There are others who could say with us that Jesus was wise, but they would say we don't worship him. There are others who could say Jesus seemed to be good and to do good and moral things for other people, but they will not worship him. Because it is only appropriate to worship him if what this author is saying is true about him. If he really is God himself, in verse 8, he goes on, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And it was you who laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will, like a robe, roll them up. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. If this is true of Jesus, then he is worthy of our worship, and worthy not only of our worship, but the worship of all of creation, and that even the angels are invited to bow down and worship him. And so we believe that this message as it's clarified for us in the life of Jesus also reveals that he is uniquely the one and only son from the father that he is God sent to us to reveal that God is for us reveal that we are to worship him and that everyone is invited into that worship of our sovereign God and now, if he is the one who rules over all, and he is communicating this message of his love for us, of his faithfulness for us, who can stop him? If he is willing to share with us the inheritance that he has received, who can dispute, who can argue, who can challenge him? No one. But if he's just another servant like the angels or just another good person like a Moses or a David, then, well, he might be able to help us for a time, but then eventually he's going to die and eventually he's going to be gone and eventually somebody else will reign. But if he's not just like them and he's greater than them and he's superior to them and his life will have no end, then his reign will have no end. And so all of the promises that he offers to the world, he will keep forever and ever 
Amen. And so we, we do worship him, and we invite others to worship him for the unique person that he is. And then it's interesting in verse 14, again, in all the superiority, again, he doesn't diminish all the other ways that God works. And so he says about the angels, are they not all ministering spirits, spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So God is still using the revelation of the prophets and the revelation of the Old Testament. He is still using his angels as servants of his to extend this message of salvation. But he's ultimately the one uh, that's revealed by it all. If you think about uh, the opportunity to go to a restaurant and you have people whose responsibility it is to serve you at a meal, uh, what do we want a good servant to do? Uh, as I've now been catching up with people I haven't seen for a long time. It just happened a couple of times where somebody came to the table and we had to keep apologizing. Sorry, we haven't even had a chance yet to like look at the menu because we're just catching up on life and how one another is doing. And a good servant says, okay, no problem, I'll be back. Like the purpose of their service is to provide a context for something greater, but they realize that still part of their service is to step back and allow for the real thing to happen or if you go to a live sporting event and there are people constantly there waiting to offer you food or drink to enjoy uh, yourself while you're at the game uh, sometimes when it gets later in a game and it's really close everybody realizes like this would be the worst time to now come and offer me something what I'd actually prefer is that you with me watch what's going on all of this is so that we could see what's taking place and so God still has his servants doing their work and they're stepping in and they're stepping back. There is not a day that you or I go forward from this place where we do not have the opportunity for a greater knowledge and a greater understanding of him through his word. He's given us that gift and it's ours to enjoy. There's not a day that you and I go forth from this place where we don't have his angels ministering to our needs and those who we care about. They're still doing his work. If he loved us enough to die for us, he loves us enough to do also all of those ongoing things for us that we would never feel that there's a day that we're without hope or that there's a day that we're without help because he who rules and reigns over us is continuing to send out his servants for us. But ultimately, to point us back to him. Ultimately, so that we would stand and wonder and marvel at just how great and good he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that you are a greater uh, sovereign, that you are the one and only Savior for each and every one of us. We thank you that you can use uh, humble men and women as servants of yours that through their revelations and through their dreams, through their good words, you can reveal yourself to us. And you can protect us and watch over us through your angels and your servants that you have made and through whom you rule the world. But we thank you also that you have given us of yourself. That we can understand you the best 
and know just how deep and amazing your love is for us. And we thank you that your rule and that your reign will be forever and ever. So we pray that in all the ways that we are weary and feeling weighed down, that you would lift up our hearts and our spirits, that you would encourage us as we go forward, that there is not a day that we are without hope and without help. In your name we pray, amen.